0: Great man! It's great to see you this morning. My name is Jay. I am uh, blessed to be here, uh, starting uh, Disciple Comp this morning. It really is a privilege and an honor uh, to be with you this morning, and I want to thank you for for allowing me the privilege uh, and honor. I love your pastor very much. We we are good good friends. We go back a long ways. Uh, our church, home church, Indicator, uh, where we both got trained and discipled and served in ministry together, and uh, a lot of, a lot of great memories, man. And and just to see where God has him now uh is truly an amazing thing man and i just i said this first hour uh you have an amazing pastor and uh you really do and so thank god for him because he's a great man he loves the lord he loves the word of god and uh he understands discipleship and the ministry that god's called us to accomplish uh in this world and so man you're a blessed church if you don't know that already uh, I'm going to tell you from the outside looking in, you are a tremendously blessed church, and so he and his family are just such a blessing to me and, and to my family as well. Well, if you got a Bible this morning, I would like you to turn to Genesis chapter 14, and uh, let me just share with you real quick a testimony I, I shared in the first hour, uh, my personal testimony. I came to Christ at the age of 21. Uh, my best friend in college led me to Christ uh, a couple of years into college, and so. I didn't have a church background, didn't grow up in a strong church, didn't grow up in any church, really. Uh, I was just a lost guy living life for himself. Uh, At 21, uh, my best friend in college shared the gospel with me very clearly, and the Spirit of God used that uh, to help me realize I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And so I got saved July 11, 1997, and uh, that was a minute ago. I was 21 years old, and so all you math nerds can do the math real quick. Figure out how long I've been saved, how old I am. I look way younger. I know that. Uh, got saved, and and I didn't get saved in a church. I got saved just at my friend's house. He shared the gospel with me at night, and, and he said, hey, you need, to, you need to come to church with me, and that was kind of the next step, right? You get saved. You need to be in church, and so I was like, yeah, that's cool, and so I started going to church with him in, uh, in Alabama and uh, just always was looking for that next step. Man, God radically transformed my life. I was thankful for Christ and what he did for me, and and really, early on, I would have I done anything. I mean, just tell me what the thing is I need to do, show me from the Bible, and I'll do it. And, uh, and so I got baptized a couple of weeks later in my home church. And then after faithfully attending for a few months, there was an older gentleman in our church that came to me and said, hey, I've noticed what God's doing in your life. I want to disciple you. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> I had no clue, man. What, what's that? What's it going to cost? I have no clue what that is. And he, he took just a few minutes, and he said, well, I know you're a new believer, and I want to take the next year, if, you, if you'd be willing, and, and if you'd come meet with me at my house, man, I'd take the next year and just invest my life into you and in, invest the Word of God into you and, and just take the life of Christ that he's put into me and, and, and invest that into your life. And uh, I was like, man, sign me up. And uh, this was an older gentleman in my church. I knew who he was, but I, I really didn't know him, know him, like personally. And man, for the next year, I met with that guy on Thursday nights every every week and uh i'd like to tell you that i was like the exemplary disciple that showed up prepared with his memory verses and all of his work done in his in his book and that wasn't the case at all actually many times i would i would get early to his house and sit in the driveway and finish out the last little section of you know the little section of notes i know none of you spiritual people do that but you know uh i did that and so man god radically transformed my life at salvation but God matured me so much through discipleship and, and looking back man I, you know I grew up really naive spiritually I thought that every church was like that every church had a, a, a process for spiritual growth every church had a discipleship ministry and and as I grew I, I began to have the opportunity to disciple other people and serve in ministry and I was at my home church for 14 years surrender my life to follow Jesus Christ anywhere and uh, made that commitment as a single man, and and then God gave me a wife, and and she had made that commitment as well, and and we were just completely surrendered to whatever God would have for us, and and a few years later, God would allow us to leave our church and actually become pastor of a church in Huntsville, Alabama, and I've been there for for the last ten years. August will be ten years ago, and so concurrently with that, I also worked in the field of physical therapy for about twenty years, and and man, I just I just am amazed at the story of that God's writing in my life, and, and I'm just thankful uh, for his grace and for his mercy, and, and he gets all the glory for it, and, and I'm thankful to be with you this morning, and you know, we're singing that song, God, I'll follow you anywhere, and I'm just reminded that, uh, man, I'm, I'm not worthy to be here uh, this morning, uh, but God's allowed it, and God's asked me to do it, and so I'm just thankful uh, to be able to share the word of God with you this morning. And So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 14, you know, that's one of the staple passages for discipleship, Right? Okay, not so much. Uh, this, this morning, when we get to Genesis chapter 14, uh, we're going to pick up a story uh, of war. Actually, Genesis 14 is the first mention of war in the Bible. It's also the first mention of the word Hebrew. Abram is called in Hebrew in Genesis chapter 14. So there's some, some firsts that we're going to discuss this morning. And the reason why I feel like this passage was important for us to study is because Because this passage shows us that we need to be prepared for war. As we talk about discipleship and as we talk about discipleship conference and really what it is, what we're doing this week is really preparing ourselves, equipping ourselves, and engaging ourselves in the war for the souls of men and for the Word of God. That's what we are actually doing this week. And so, spoiler alert, uh, that's why we're here. Let's read Genesis 14, verses 8 to 16, and, and then I'll pray, and we'll spend some time in the scriptures. The Bible says, and there went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, the same as Zor. And they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim, and, and Chedor-laomer, the king of Elam, and with title, the king of nations, and Amraphel, the king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Al- Alassar, four kings with five. In other words, four kings warring against five kings. And, and, and the vale of Sodom was full of slime pits. And the, king, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram... The Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Esh- Eshcol and the brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abram. And so some nations that are confederate with, with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus, and he brought back all the goods, and he brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. Let's pray and ask God to, to speak to us this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you again for the, the privilege of being in your house. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the praise and worship. We thank you for singing back to you the promises that you've given us through your word. Lord, I thank you for that worship team, and, and just the the, the the spirit of Uh, praise and worship that we can experience lord as we're reminded and and we're taught uh, from from the song the truths of your word Uh, lord thank you for for those promises lord to this morning as we as we study we need your holy spirit to teach us god i pray that you get me out of the way father i know i'm unworthy uh, to be even in this place and lord i pray that your word and your holy spirit does the work god we we come as a people that need to hear from you father we even if we don't want to hear from you god we need to hear from you so that you can change our life and transform us into the image of Christ. Lord, bless our, our, our time, bless the study of your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in Genesis 14, again, not, not a very common passage necessarily for discipleship, but what's happening here is there is a war. Uh, historically speaking, the Abrahamic covenant is in place. Many of you know that from Genesis chapter 12, where God made a covenant with Abraham, an unconditional covenant. And so we know that God is working to establish his his physical kingdom through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob. We we would call that the kingdom of heaven, the literal physical kingdom in the Old Testament. And historically, that's kind of where we're landing in Genesis 14. But but we also need to understand what's happening is there's a war among Gentile nations. And, And there's five nations mentioned, warring against four nations. And some of those nations are confederate with Abram, and some are against Abram. And, and, and what you see doctrinally in Genesis chapter 14 is really a foreshadowing or, or, or a, a doctrinal application of Armageddon. Where Christ himself and, and the nation of Israel will have some nations with them, but most nations against them. And what you have is a picture or type of, of sheep and goat nations in Genesis chapter 14. But, but really what we want to do this morning is get to a, a, a personal or an inspirational application. Because because this is the first mention of war in the Bible, God has much to teach us. Because the truth is, even in a New Testament application, we are engaged in a war. We're engaged in a spiritual war. It's just as real, if not more real, than the physical war that we see on news and, and media. As a matter of fact, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18... Paul writing to his disciple Timothy, he says these words, This charge I commit unto thee, Timothy, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before thee, that thou by, thou by them mightest war a good warfare. And so, and so the New Testament application for us as believers in Christ is that we are engaged in war, and God wants us to war a good warfare, just as, as Paul was admonishing his son in the faith Timothy. And, and so as we go back to this Old Testament passage and Old Testament story, we're going to see a, a practical application, number one, of the reality of war, and number two, how to war effectively. Because the truth is, because the truth is, we're in a war for the souls of men and for the Word of God. That, that's what we're at war. That's why this week matters so much. I mean, listen, God only knows the eternal impact of what's going to happen because of the decisions that are made this week at DiscipleConf. I mean, it's that big of a deal. And so, and so this morning as we study this war, number one, I want to I give us the motivation for our warfare because, because we need to be motivated. There's some things that should motivate us to realize the reality of the spiritual war that we're in. And so let me give you a couple of examples. Verse 11 says that they, these Gentile nations, took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals, and they went on their way, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. And and so, you know, one motivation for us to realize the spiritual warfare in front of us is is this key point, there are captives that have been taken hostage. That ought to be a good motivation to go to war. I mean, listen, if that's your family, if that's your children, if that's your people, where you're going to get really motivated do something about that. And listen, this is going to paint for us a picture. These Gentile nations are ultimately going to paint a picture for us of the devil and how he works to capture people captive spiritually in our sin. And as we study this passage, even in verse 16, we find that not only was Lot taken captive, his goods were taken captive. There were also some women that were taken captive and other people. And so there's a variety of different people that are mentioned in Genesis 14 that have been taken captive, taken hostage, and they need to be rescued. And Abram is going to use a very specific group of people to make sure that they are rescued, that they're recovered from their captivity. And again, man, many times when we look at the Bible, we look at Lot, Lot Lot for us many times is a picture of a backslidden Christian for sure. But I think he's also a picture of a lost man because, because in Genesis chapter 13, Lot chose Sodom. He, he, he looked and lived his life based on the things that he could see. And, and when he saw Sodom, man, he saw it as, as, as the garden of the Lord. He saw it with, with plush plants and watered land. And he looked at all the benefits of Sodom and he just chose that according to his natural eyes. And, and as sinful people, man, when we're lost, that's kind of the way we, we live life. That's the way we, we make decisions. I mean, I was 21 years old, and can I just tell you, I was living life for myself, just like a 21-year-old would do. And, and I was consumed with the things of this world and this life that enticed me. And, and Lot is a picture of that, but, but the Bible also says that there were some women that were taken captive. And, and that's very interesting to me, because when we study the Bible and compare Scripture with Scripture, we're going to land over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men are going to be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and and it goes on and on. It even talks about how in the last days, men are going to have a form of godliness, but they're going to deny the power thereof. And then in that same passage, he says in verse 6, of this sort... In other words, the people that say they're godly, but they have no power. Of this sort are they which creep into houses, listen, and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And, and I'm telling you, man, the motivation for our warfare is that, man, there are lost people that need the gospel, but there are also people that are just being deceived. They're being taken captive and led away of their diverse lust. You know, Eve was a great example of what we're learning in, in 2 Timothy. Eve was a woman deceived by the devil, led away into captivity and into sin because instead of clinging to the, to the words of God, she started looking at through the eyes of her flesh and, 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 and reason and, and thinking outside of the authority of God's word in her life. And, and listen, she was taken captive. And so we see Lot, we see these women, and, and we also see that there are other people mentioned in verse 16 that are taken captive. Who are those people? Maybe those people are the people that, that were part of Lot's family, but those people could possibly have been the people of Sodom itself because Sodom, all the goods were, were stolen out of Sodom, and, and listen, the people of Sodom would have been taken captive. And, and listen, man, Genesis 13 tells us that those people in Sodom, man, verse 13, they were, they were wicked And sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And and can I just tell you, listen, (laughs) as wicked as they were, they needed to be delivered. They needed to be delivered. And and, and listen, what we're seeing in Genesis 14 is a great picture. It's a great illustration that we have an adversary that's real. He is the devil. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 tells us that that devil is a devourer. Uh, it says, be sober in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Be, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And, and in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we, we know that the devil takes people captive. It, it says in verse, verses 25 and 26 that, that we're to instruct those people in meekness, uh, those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves, listen, out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. I mean, the devil is the one taking folks hostage spiritually, man. He, he keeps them bound in their sin, and even if they're saved, if he, can, if he can keep them captive, they'll never fully engage in what God desires for their life. And, and listen, these are the type of people that God has called us to go reach. We need to see captives delivered. We need to see hostages set free by the power of the gospel. And, and listen, we need to have people understand that they have a purpose in their life. That, that listen, even if you're saved but you're in, in captivity, God has a greater purpose for your life. It's to make disciples of all nations. And so, and so we need to be motivated to reach those people. And the truth is, most Christians, not, not Christians in Georgia, just in Alabama, most Christians live in complete ignorance of the reality of the spiritual war that's raging. And most Christians live in complete denial of the reality of the spiritual war that's raging. The truth is, some of those very people are captive themselves. And, and so listen, we ought to have a burden, man, for the lost, for the people that aren't here Yet that still need to receive the gospel or those that have received the gospel but aren't connected to a local church family, that aren't being discipled, that are to motivate us to go get them, right? But let me give you the second motivation that I think is, is the most powerful motivation for us to, to be about the Lord's business and to get, engage in this warfare. And, and the second motivation is because simply when we engage in this warfare, it pleases God. It pleases God. And we get that out of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. You know, the Bible tells us, and I think you're going to hear a lot about Timothy, and and I think Pastor Joe is going to be be covering Timothy in a good bit of detail this week, but 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 says, No man that warreth, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You see, God called us, God chose us, it pleases God for us to serve him as a soldier engaged in spiritual warfare, it pleases God. And, and can I just tell you, that's motivation enough, right? Anything that pleases God ought to be motivation for us to submit to his will and to his word in our life. And so, listen, at the moment of salvation, you and I were enlisted. We were drafted into this service of the Lord. We were drafted into this spiritual warfare because, listen, it just pleases God. And that would be motivation enough. Can I just tell you, if you want to please God with your life, surrender to his plan and his purpose for your life. You know, John 15 tells us in verse 16, Jesus says, I've not chosen, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. The Lord is doing the choosing, man. When you choose him in salvation, he chooses you right back to serve him and to be a part of this warfare. And so that ought to be our motivation. We ought, to, we ought to be about discipleship. Yeah, because there's a lot of people to reach. And, and we ought to be about discipleship because there's a lot of backslidden Christians that need to be awakened and, and delivered from captivity of sin. But really, we need to be about discipleship because it pleases the Lord. That's the motivation. It pleases the Lord. And so as we look at this story very quickly in Genesis 14, I want to show you the second point. I want us to see the strategy of our warfare. And really, this is the bulk of the message uh, this morning, is is verse 14 and verse 15. Uh, Verse 14 says, and when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and he pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants. And so, and so we've seen the motivation, man. There's people that are lost. There are people that are backslidden. There are people that need to get delivered from captivity of sin. We just sang about that this morning. We, we, we've motivated ourselves. We understand that. But we've got to have a strategy. How is God going to accomplish that in and through our life and in and through our churches? We're going to see it out of verses 14 and 15. Number one, God is going to use servants born. And he's going to use specifically servants that are born in his own house. Did you see that in verse 14? Abram, listen, when Abram got motivated, the the Bible says that he heard his brother was taken captive. Now, now we just said that there are people taken captive, right? Do you remember your, your lost life before you knew Christ? Do you remember that? Well, there are other people like that still out there. There may be people in this room that are still unsaved. They've still not responded to the gospel. Listen, listen, when when we as believers in Christ hear that other people are taken captive, it should motivate us to take action. And the first thing Abram did is he armed his trained servants that were born in his own house. So there's a great picture in Genesis 14, number one, of evangelism. And here's the key principle. Look, discipleship always begins with it always begins with evangelism and, and and I know it doesn't happen in Georgia but in Alabama this point needs constant attention it needs constant attention because discipleship is not just you know your own personal counselor in the church it's not someone that you can just go and pour out your discipleship is preparing for war that's what it is and 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 discipleship always begins with evangelism. In other words, we have to reach people with the gospel if we're ever going to train them, if we're ever going to arm them. We have to go see people that are born again. So, so the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 15, Paul, again, writing to Timothy, he says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, listen, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And and so the New Testament equivalent is that we see people born again into the house of God. That's evangelism. That's where discipleship starts. But that's not where it ends. That's not where it ends. We have to continually be about preaching the gospel to those that are in captivity in their sin. And and so this is God's strategy. Number one, it, it begins with servants that are born. And you guys know, man, you go to a good church that has a strong emphasis on biblical authority and teaching God's word. You know that when you receive the gospel, the Bible says that you're born again. You become sons of God. You become children of God. You know, John chapter one and verse 12 tells us, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so salvation results in sonship. I'm, I'm a child of God now. I'm born again into God's family. Thank God. But, but let me also help us understand that when we're born into the family of God, number two, our spiritual birth should result in servanthood. We should experience sonship, and we do. But we should also experience and submit our life to servanthood. Those that were born in Abram's house were servants. They were servants. And listen, many times in, in in our Christianity, we 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 lose the balance between those two things. We lose the balance. We we are just as much a son of God, absolutely, but we are called to be servants of God. And as we study the Bible, many times, man, mighty men of God are called according to the scriptures the servants of God. Moses was called the servant of the Lord in Joshua chapter one. Joshua was called the servant of the Lord in Joshua 24. Paul was called the servant of Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 1. Paul and Timothy were called the servants of Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 1. Epaphras was called the servant of Christ in Colossians chapter 4. James was called a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ in James chapter 1. Jude is called the servant of Christ and brother to James. Here's the point, and here's the key problem in our life. Many times, we as Christians get so wrapped up in our identity as as sons that we never realize our purpose, and our purpose is to serve the Lord. And and look, I'm I'm as thankful as anybody in this room to have a new identity in Christ, because I remember what my life was like before Jesus Christ, I'm telling you. I, I am thankful for the new identity that I have in Jesus Christ. Man, I'll never get over the fact that God had, had allowed me the privilege of being born into his family by grace through faith. you understand that? I'll never get over that. However, there is a purpose for that. There's an end game for that. There's a reason for that. And that is to serve the Lord with my life. That's what it is. And, and so many times we get that balance construed in our Christianity. We, we get so focused on our identity and there's nothing wrong with our identity in Christ. But we forget the business that we're to be about. So, so who is it that God's going to use to deliver Lot and deliver those women and deliver the people and deliver the goods? Who's God going to use? Well, number one, He's going to use those that are born. Those that are born in His house. But, the, but then secondly is... As we, as we get into that uh, passage a little bit deeper, we're going to see, number two, that he's going to use those servants that have been trained. He's going to use the servants that have been trained. In other words, being born is the first step in that strategy of God's plan to reach other people, but that's not the end result. That's not the end. There has to be some training. We would call that discipleship in our churches. And so, you know, Proverbs 22 and verse six, you know, the Bible says to train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And, and, and many times we use that verse, and, and we we talk about the parental application of that verse. I'm a dad. I got two beautiful uh, little girls. Man, they're amazing. They couldn't come with us, uh, come with me on this trip. I'm really they were they were really upset. By the way, they were really really upset. And so uh, I'm gonna have to like somehow pay that back. I don't know how I'll do that. I'm sure it'll cost me a lot of money. My wife couldn't come either, so that's gonna cost me more money. Uh, <laughs> So y'all pray for me after this message. We, we use that, that verse many times concerning our children. But, but we also know from the Bible that there are seven stages of spiritual growth that start at the babe, right? Those that are born again in Christ. But then they grow to, to little children. And then they grow to children. And can I just tell you that children, they need to be trained because, you know, that next stage in that spiritual growth process is young men. And young men are strong because the Word of God abides in them. Young men are strong spiritually because they've overcome the wicked one. How do, how do we get someone from a babe to a young man spiritually? they got to be trained. It, it doesn't happen by accident. It's called discipleship. It, it's, it's called ministry training. It's called leadership training institute. I mean, to be trained means to be skilled. It means to be proven. It means to be practiced. And so listen, if you're born again this morning, can I tell you, I rejoice with you that you're born again, believer in Christ, but, but can I tell you the next step is that thing called discipleship. It's that next step so that you can get trained so that you become able to war a good warfare. Uh, The next point that we see from Abram's household is number, number three. We see servants that are, that are not only born and not only trained, but we see servants that are armed, that are armed. And so now they're ready for war. They, they have weapons of warfare, okay? They have on armor. And, and so this is kind of the engaged portion of the ministry. We have evangelism, we have equipping, and then we see people engaged in the battle. That's the point. God's calling every one of, of us to be so trained and so equipped that we're engaged in the battle. And, and so there's two things that God, God has for us, I believe, in this point. Number one, we need to be armed, with a soldier's armor. You know, a soldier goes into battle with a very specific uniform. He has, he has possibly bulletproof plate in his in his in his front and in his back. He has a, a ruck on. He has different things. He has ammo. He has a weapon. He has all the things to be able to war effectively and to survive and to do what he's called to do. And in, in Ephesians chapter 6, God tells us that if we're going to war in this spiritual warfare, listen, we need to be born again. We need to be trained. But we've got to be armed because it's a spiritual warfare. Paul tells in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And again, man, we're seeing a picture of the devil taking people captive. How are we going to go against that? How is Abram and his household going to war against Multiple kings, Gentile nations with a small band of soldiers. Well, they're born, they're trained, and then they're armed. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us we gotta, we got to put on this whole armor of God. Verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. So listen, we have to be trained, but we also have to be armed. Number one, with the right armor. We've got to have the right armor on. You go to this battle, you go to this spiritual warfare without armor, you will not be able to stand. You see, this is, this is not a war that we can fight in the power of our flesh. It has to be in the power of God, through the power of His Spirit, with the authority of His Word, with the whole armor of God on our life. It's His armor. Abraham armed those in his own house. God the Father wants to arm those that are in His own house. But we've got to be willing to put that armor on. So we need the right armor, and number two, got to have the right mindset. We have to have the, mi- the right mindset, and, and many of you know, listen, if you have a, a military background or, or, or you had a military family growing up, I did. My dad served in the military. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for his willingness to, to sacrifice his life and uh, put his life on the line for this country and, and for me and my family. And uh, Listen, there's a certain mindset that a soldier has. It, 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 we have to win no matter what. We have, to, we have to live a life of suffering and sacrifice and, and discipline. And we have to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ so that we can win. That's the point. That's the mindset that we have to have. And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, God's word tells us that not only do we need the armor of God, but we need to have the mind of God. 1 Peter 4 and verse 1 says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves, arm yourselves, likewise with the same mind for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men but listen but to the will of God and so listen as a soldier in this spiritual warfare God is calling us to put on the right armor and we need to have the right mindset and we need to just decide today you know what it's going to be tough If we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to be about discipleship, and we're going to be about reaching the world with the gospel and making disciples of all nations. We need to arm ourselves with the mind that we're going to suffer in this flesh. We're going to just suffer in this flesh. I'd love to tell you it's different, but it's not. And so we want to to give the word of God straight across the plate. And God says the same suffering that Christ experienced in this flesh is the same suffering we should expect to experience. As we go to make disciples of all nations, we have to have the right mindset. And it's a mindset of commitment and discipline and sacrifice and enduring hardness where needed so that the mission can be accomplished. That's what it's all about. Number four is this. We see from Abram's house that he had servants that were not only born and trained and armed, but we see, number four, that he had servants that were numbered. As a matter of fact, it tells us exactly how many servants that he had that were able and capable and willing to go to war. The Bible says that there were three hundred and eighteen soldiers. And I mentioned this in the first hour. When you study the numerology, the number three hundred and eighteen in the Bible means. I don't I don't know. Everybody was like <laughs> If you tell me, I don't have to study this. <laughs> the truth is, it probably means something, and your pastor is way smarter than I am, and he'll probably tell you what it means later. So <laughs> Here, here's, what I, here's what I know. Let me just make it, let me break it down real simple for, you know, a redneck from South Alabama. Uh, what, what I do know is it was an exact number. It was precise. It could be counted. And, and so here's the principle we want to understand from this. Listen, God is always looking for those that can be counted and can be counted on. You see, you see, the number of disciples, the number of servants in Abram's house was very specific. And I would dare say, I don't, I don't, I don't know you, so I can say this and, and you can you know, have grace with me. I don't know you. But I guarantee you there's a precise number of disciples in this house. And there's only that many disciples. Why? Because a disciple can be numbered. It, he can be counted. She can be counted. As, as we go through the scriptures, many times we see, we see God calling and counting those that are able to go to war. We see it in Numbers chapter 1 where, where Moses gives commandment to take the sum of the congregation of Israel. And he says, I want you to number them by their names, all that are able to go forth to war in Israel. And Aaron shall number them by their armies. In other words, if you're, if you're born and trained and armed, you can be numbered. There's no, there's no guessing how many disciples we truly have in a local church. There, there's no guessing how many disciples we have in, in, in a church in Huntsville it is a precise number. And listen, you can be a part of that number because that's God's purpose for your life. That's God's calling for your life is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to make disciples Of all nations, and then number five is that we see from Abram's house, not only were those servants numbered, but they were divided. They were servants that were divided. Look at verse fourteen again, and again we're talking about the strategy that God is using. It says He divided Himself against them. This is Abram dividing Himself against them. That sounds weird. How did he do that? Well, he divided his house against the enemy, right? He and his servants by night, and he smote them and pursued them unto Jehovah. And so so God uses servants that are born, that are trained, that are armed, that are numbered, and then he's able to take that number and divide that number for the mission. That's how God works. And, And so this is not a division against themselves. You know, Abram's house and his servants, they're not divided against each other, They are split up for strategic advantage. In other words, we got 318. They got a whole lot, but here's how we can win. If some of you take this side, and some of you take this side, and some of you go right up the middle, and some of you go around back, we can get the victory. It's strategic advantage. And listen, we know from the New Testament, that's the way ministry works. Christ himself sent his disciples out Two by two, right? When, when you study Paul's ministry, listen, all through the Pauline epistles and, and, and the book of Acts and Pauline epistles, listen, when you study Paul, he was always ministering with a team. There were people with him and, and those names changed depending on where you find him in the scriptures, but, but he always had a team of people and it wasn't always the same people. Why? Because God allowed the body of Christ to be divided for strategic advantage to recover the captives. And so what that means for us and what it means for you as a local church is, number one, you need a number of people that can actually be divided because your pastor can't and is not called to do all the work. And I would say even further that the pastoral staff is not called to do all the work of the ministry. We need disciples that are numbered in this house. And once we have the number of disciples, man, we can strategically attack and, and recover those that are taken captive for the glory of God's sake, because that's our whole purpose. And then, and then the last point is this, number, number whatever that is. Uh, the last one, number next, uh, is, is this. We, we see that these servants, they warred at a very specific time. They warred at night. They warred at night. The Bible says in verse 15 that he divided himself against them, he and his servants, listen, by night. And, and many of you know, if you've been at this church for any amount of time, and you've, you've studied the Bible, you understand that when Christ was on this earth during his earthly ministry, it was spiritual day, right? Christ says in John chapter 9 that he's the light of the world. As long as he's in the world, he's the light of the world, and he must work the works of him that sent him while it's day. But he says, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And, and we know that Christ Christ went to the cross of Calvary, and we know that he was crucified, and we know that he he bore our sin and our shame on that cross. We know that, and he was buried. Three days later, he resurrected from the grave. And he spent 40 days with his disciples, teaching them the things pertaining to the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 1. But in Acts chapter 1, listen, he ascended to heaven, to the right hand of the Father, and so spiritually speaking, the lights went out. Instead of Instead of spiritual day on this planet, because Christ, the, the light of the world, was here, we're in, we're in spiritual night. And can I just tell you that the time the time to engage in the warfare, the time to be about the business of seeing hostages delivered and captives set free, the time to be about that business is right now. It's the night. Because listen, just, just, as, just as real as the night is right now, there is a day coming. When Jesus Christ returns, man, the son of righteousness, according to Malachi, and, and the day of the Lord happens, well, there'll be no more time to, to reach people with the gospel, at least the gospel, that, the gospel of the grace of God. And, and yeah, there's tribulation ministry and all that stuff, but I'm telling you, as it relates to the church, as it relates to the servants of Jesus Christ, we're dealing with a, a finite amount of time. It, it's time to go to war, and it's time to go to war now. Because we are in the night. Well, let me show you the last point because you've got to get your blanks filled in, right? Let me give you the the last blank. I'm telling you, the strategy that God puts together works. And so the last point is this. We see the victory of our warfare. We see the victory of our warfare. The reason God gives us a strategy and a plan and a process and a way to go to war is because it works. It works. And so if you look at verse 16, the Bible says, and he brought back, and this is Abram and his servants, listen, he brought back all the goods, and we get excited about the goods because we're lay out of sea of Christians, but who cares? Nobody cares about the goods. But what he brought back also was his brother Lot and the women and the people. And I'm telling you, man, if you're Lot and you've been in captivity and then God through Abram and the servants of his house have provided you a miraculous victory, well, that's something to get excited about. And if you're one of those women that was led away captive because of those Gentile kings and those Gentile nations, and listen, it's a picture of our sin and the bondage that the devil keeps us in. Listen, when, when deliverance came, that's a good day. And can I just tell you, if you're a man of Sodom, and exceedingly wicked and evil before the Lord, and God's able to give you deliverance, that's a victorious day. Church, I love you very much, man. I'm I'm so thankful for the honor to, to share God's word with you. I just want to encourage you this week. God's strategy works. God's called us to be sons. God's called us to be servants. So let's be about his business of preparing ourselves to be engaged in this battle. Thank you again for the honor. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.